If you're a man and live long enough, it's likely to eventually affect you. So, as part of Men's Health Month in June, we're discussing prostate enlargement and its treatment. Our guest, Dr. Jeffrey Lodoyle. He's a urologist at USC Urology, a part of Keck Medicine of USC. This is the Ridgecrest Regional Hospital Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Joey Waller. Hi, Dr. Lodoyle. Thanks for joining us. How are you? Thanks for having me. Great to have you aboard. So first, we just alluded to it. So to start, just how common is an enlarged prostate condition? After the age of 40, the odds of you having any symptoms related to an enlarged prostate, if you're a male, is pretty high. I'd say that if you don't have symptoms, you're actually in the extreme minority. So most men are going to experience some problems related to their prostate if they live long enough. So to quickly backtrack for those unfamiliar, what exactly is the prostate gland? What does it do? So the prostate is an organ that exists in all men that sits between the bladder and the urethra. So that's your urine channel. And the prostate itself is responsible for producing most of the fluid for when you make semen or you ejaculate. So why it's there? Well, it's very beneficial, obviously, if you want to have a child. And so it's very important during those child rearing ages. Now, that function still exists until someone dies. I mean, the prostate still produces that same fluid. But as someone gets older, the prostate tends to increase in size. So it certainly has a role, but it also gets larger with age. And so begs the question, of course, what is it that causes the prostate to enlarge? So it's under various hormonal controls. But testosterone is thought to be a major controller of prostate enlargement, but also genes. I mean, someone may just have a predilection to having an enlarged prostate based on what their genetics would take. And so what are the symptoms? We hear about frequent urination, particularly in the middle of the night. Tell us about that and anything else, please. So the prostate can enlarge. And what happens is that it all of a sudden creates a restriction in urine flow. And so that makes our bladders, which is responsible for two things, for storing urine and eliminating urine to work harder. So how the bladder responds can also manifest as symptoms. So as you said earlier, you can have frequency, you can have urgency, you may need to wake up more often at nighttime. And that's because the bladder is now working harder to actually eliminate urine against a restriction. Well, if there's a restriction in flow, it's also going to cause symptoms of slow urine stream, what we call hesitancy, dribbling of urine afterwards. And so there's a really big variety of symptoms that a male patient may experience, which may be because of an enlarged prostate. Gotcha. But to be clear, urinating multiple times nightly doesn't necessarily mean there's an enlarged prostate, right? You might just be getting up for some other reason, a baby crying, whatever, sleepless night, and you just happen to go to the bathroom. I guess what I'm wondering is when we talk about frequent urination in the middle of the night, does that usually mean that it's the fact that you have to go to the bathroom that's waking you up? Or how does that work? You hit the nail on the head. So waking up at nighttime can be caused by lots of things. And so you really have to parse out in clinic. And when we ask a patient, well, are you urinating because you've woken up or are you being awoken because you needed to urinate? That's really a key question. 
having to wake up frequently at nighttime to urinate may also be caused by other medical conditions, such as being on a diuretic medication like Lasix as part of heart disease treatment or blood pressure management. If you're making more urine at nighttime, well, you're going to actually have to wake up at nighttime. Patients that have diabetes also may wake up more frequently at nighttime because they have to empty their bladder more frequently. And lastly, and this is very, very common, is sleep apnea. So sleep apnea can cause someone to make more urine at nighttime and also cause them to wake up more frequently. Now, we have to eliminate those causes when we assess a patient. And if by process of elimination, they don't have those things, then maybe that frequency at night may be because of an enlarged prostate. So really, it's critical when we see patients to kind of assess all those other medical issues that may be at play. Sure. So... Having said that, when we talk about these symptoms, if you do have them because it is an enlarged prostate, let's say you're a middle-aged guy, you start to feel some of these things, what's the likelihood that it's going to get significantly worse and how quickly might that happen? Or is there a point where it levels off for a while? Patients typically start experiencing some change in how they urinate around the age of 40, at least in our experience. Now, you may have someone that can pee just great until they're 80. So it really affects people individually. And the way that it can impact someone is very individualized. You may have a slow, steady progression. You may have a plateau effect. You may have all of a sudden you're peeing fine and now you can't urinate. I mean, so we see that presentation. We see each one of those things. The typical presentation, the vast majority is someone that will present with a slowly worsening stream, it's a slow progression. But we also see other ends of the spectrum as well. So once this occurs, how about the possibility of either stagnating it or reversing it somewhat? Can either of those things be done? So those things can happen. And so number one is the first line of defense is typically a patient will see their primary care physician. And many primary care physicians can, number one, just prescribe first-line medications to stabilize or improve symptoms. Now, I always tell someone that a lot of the medications aren't necessarily a fix, but they're a Band-Aid, or they can just make things more tolerable. The root of the problem is the prostate in a lot of folks. And so you have to decide whether you want to actually address the problem, which is prostate enlargement. And so that's based on an individual conversation that we have with patients. But fortunately, we have a tremendous amount of tools in our toolbox to fix prostate enlargement. So speaking of that, you mentioned medication, be it medication or surgery, if needed or prescribed, what are those options? Patients will typically come to us saying, I've got a blank slate or I've been started on a medication. What else can we do? I'm still bothered. Well, number one, we always have patients fill out an objective questionnaire that details in what ways are they bothered by how they urinate. And that helps us decide what medications are available and which would be perfect for them. There's medications that exist just to target frequency and urgency. And there's also medications that exist to improve flow. There's also medications that exist to shrink the prostate. They typically have very minimal side effects, but they're not zero. I mean, there are side effects with many of these medications that patients are made aware of. And so you really have to risk, or at least the patient has to weigh, am I willing to accept side effects for the sake of peeing better? Because in most cases, 
how someone is urinating isn't necessarily a life-threatening condition. It's more a quality of life thing. Now, having said that, for whatever reason, we also see patients on Ridgecrest coming in with problems. So these are medical problems related to having an enlarged prostate. And so our job is to make sure that, that those problems don't exist. So what does that mean? I actually have patients coming in that are holding on to way too much urine. So when they urinate, they're actually just skimming off the top. They're not fully emptying. And so what can that do? That can actually cause bladder distension, bladder stretching, and kidney damage. So our job is to rule out dangerous things related to the prostate. And so once we kind of assess those things, we can decide, well, are medications appropriate or do we need to kind of move forward with surgeries, which are a little bit more definitive? And so if surgery is needed, what's involved there? You know, over the past 10, 20 years, there's been lots of different therapies to treat in the large prostate, and they range from being minimally invasive to quite invasive. Now, over the past 10 years, there's really been a renaissance in terms of how many minimally invasive procedures now exist to treat an enlarged prostate, which is great for patients. The reason why they came around was to decrease hospitalizations, morbidity, as well as to address some of the sexual side effects that traditional treatment options had. So what does that look like? A lot of treatment options that existed for an enlarged prostate caused ejaculatory dysfunction and erectile dysfunction. So we solve a peeing problem, but then we create a sexual problem. And so a lot of resources have been committed over the past 10 years to develop more minimally invasive techniques that kind of eliminate or at least minimize those risks of sexual dysfunction. So here in Ridgecrest, we offer several minimally invasive therapies that work very well for prostates that are of a mild to medium size. And we can talk about those, but there's also great options that exist for enlarged prostates that are very large, but those typically require inpatient hospitalizations and specialized instruments that we also just do here in Los Angeles at USC. So oftentimes we have patients that have large prostates and they just make the trek down here and they get state-of-the-art stuff as well. Gotcha. A couple of other things. For those that don't know, the test for an enlarged prostate I guess the best way, Doc, to describe it is people are leery of it, but it's at least maybe the quickest test in medicine, isn't it? <laughs> One of the quickest tests. Now, <laughs> do I like doing it? No. Do patients like having it done? No, but I think it's necessary. So there's two things that we typically get when we assess a patient for their prostate. Number one is we look at lab data. So there's a great test, it's called a PSA, and we use that as a screening marker for prostate cancer, but also it can be a surrogate for how large someone's prostate is. Now, there's not a necessarily a direct correlation, but at least it kind of clues us into who are the people that we need to keep an eye out on for our risk for prostate cancer versus who are the folks that just have an enlarged prostate. So that's number one. Number two is we also examine the prostate. So how do we do that? We place a single finger in someone's rectum and we feel the prostate. That tells us two things. Are there any tumors that are palpable? And number two, how large is someone's prostate? And that tells us information. That will tell us, well, are medications likely to work or are they not likely to work? Number two, if we decided on doing a procedure or a surgery, what type of procedure would be helpful for a patient? And we're talking, for those, again, that haven't had it done, you're using your finger and determining all this in literally what? Like two seconds, right? 
maybe one and a half seconds. <laughs> I, I overshot it a little yeah. bit. But the interesting thing I think that you said there is that it's just as unpleasant for the doctor as it is for the patient, but it has to be done, right? Yeah. We don't enjoy doing it, but it's something that, that should be done. Sure. Of course, we're laughing because it's good when possible to make light of these different tests. So finally, just to kind of sum things up here, what's your message about the quality of life someone can have if they have an enlarged prostate, but it is properly treated? So how someone responds to medication or surgeries is really dependent on are the appropriate treatment options being given. And I don't try to minimize surgery, but over the past 10 years, there's been great techniques that have been introduced that we even offer here in Ridgecrest that can treat urinary symptoms very effectively with the goal of improving quality of life, but also minimizing medications. I mean, there's lots of patients that have come to us with a whole laundry list of medications. Doc, I'm on 12 medications, and it's very easy for me to add two medications to someone's list, but you have to take a step back and say, is this correct for the patient? is 14 medications necessarily a good thing for them? So those are the things that we kind of take into account. Can we balance surgery and those risks, which are quite minimal in certain respects, but is it worth it to avoid medications? And I think that the answer is yes in a lot of folks. So having said that, can we improve quality of life? Yes. Can I make someone perfect? No, I never really guarantee perfect because that's really defined by the individual. A lot of folks are looking to pee like they did in their 20s. I don't know if that can happen, but can I at least make it so that you can enjoy your life so that you're peeing more effectively? Yeah, I think we can. Well, that's certainly great news, and I'm sure very comforting for people to hear. Folks, we trust you're now more familiar with enlarged prostate treatment. Dr. Jeffrey Lodoyle, thanks so much again. Thanks for having me. And for more information, please call 760 760- 463-8930. Again, that's 760-463-8930. Now, if you found this podcast helpful, please share it on your social media. I'm Joey Waller. Thanks again for listening to the Ridgecrest Regional Hospital Podcast.